today we start a brand new series on the book of James. The, the book of James is an amazing book. Many scholars refer to it as the Proverbs of the New Testament. It's a book for our everyday lives. It's got wisdom in it that we can apply to our everyday lives. Now, this is going to be a much longer series than I normally do, but we're going to dive deep and we're going to take our time and go verse by verse. And I encourage you over the next couple weeks to read these five chapters in the book of James. You probably have an opportunity to read it several times during this series. This is truly one of my favorite books of the Bible. During this time, I want to encourage you to reach out to someone and ask them to read these verses together with you and talk about it. Talk about what you've learned. Josh already kind of hinted at it a little bit earlier during our announcements. This year in 2021, we want to own our faith. We want to feed our own faith. And that's what we're going to focus on, making it personal, taking responsibility for my everyday life and doing the things that I need to do personally to make sure that I'm walking with my Savior through prayer and fasting, through reading scripture, through encouraging each other and applying the Bible to our lives. So as we study this book, we're going to parallel a study by Francis Chan. So if you hear any really good quotes, you can just go ahead and attribute them to him. But this book of James is a book of true faith, a collection of wisdom for every Christian. Now, the letter of James is written by James, right? That's convenient. But which James? There's three different Jameses in the New Testament. You've got James, the son of Zebedee, who was the brother of John the Beloved. James was an apostle, but there's also another apostle named James, James, the son of Alphaeus. And then there's another James. The third James is James, the brother of Jesus, the half-brother of Jesus, because Jesus was divine and God was his father. But most scholars believe this book of James is written by James, the brother of Jesus, who we know only became a follower of Jesus after the resurrection. So turning the water into wine, the feeding of the 5,000, seeing the lame made to walk again was not enough for James, the brother of Jesus, to say, my brother is God. My brother is divine. But then James saw his brother die a gruesome death on the cross and be resurrected back to life. And that is when he decided to be a follower. He had no choice but to believe then that Jesus, his brother, was the Messiah. So James, this former skeptic, becomes a pastor. And he actually became a leader in the church as a whole. After seeing his brother raised from the dead, and he writes this book to encourage some Christians that were being persecuted. Many scholars believe that James died around A.D. 60. Uh, So that would make this one of the earliest books in the New Testament. 20 years or so after the death of Christ. Let's check out 
James 1.1. And while we do this, and I know you probably already do this already, but uh, have your Bibles out and let's look at these verses together and let's see what God wants us to see. So James 1.1. James, a servant of God and the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes of the dispersion. Greetings. We see here who's James writing to, right? He's writing to these Jewish Christians that are in Jerusalem that had to flee the city because of persecution to avoid getting killed. And he draws a parallel to the exile, these, uh, you know, in the Old Testament and those 12 tribes that had been dispersed. He says, look, we've been exiled again. We've been scattered again. And this most likely, this scattering happened after the martyr of Stephen. Talk about real problems, right? Can you imagine? Put yourself in that situation where the, everything that you knew changed, right? You had to leave where you were. Now, our church has problems, right? For the past months and months and months, we've been online church, and that is hard. But can you imagine how much harder it would be to flee a city and go into hiding and be completely disconnected from everyone else you knew, unable to communicate because people are trying to kill us for our faith, hiding in catacombs and being worried about everything around you? Can you imagine that type of trouble? James writes this letter to these Christians that are running for their lives so that he might encourage them and remind them what true faith is. And that true faith and genuine faith is, is proved through trials and through persecution. And true faith is worth dying for. And he jumps right in talking about trials and hardships. He, he cuts right to the chase and he meets them where they're at. He points out this elephant in the room in verse 2. He says, look, I know you're going through problems. I know you've got fear and circumstances that make you anxious, but have faith. This is how he says it. He says, count it all joy, my brothers. Count it all joy when you meet various types of trials. Wait a minute, James. Come on. You want us to be excited and to have joy when problems come into my life? You understand I just had to leave the place that I grew up and everything that I knew and maybe even leave some family behind because people are trying to kill me, right? You understand where I'm at, James. What do you mean count it all joy? Why should I have joy when trials come into my life? Verse 3, he goes on, he says, this is why. He says, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. James says, here is the answer. He says, you know the testing of your faith produces patience, or in other words, endurance and perseverance. Trials are coming, but when they do, don't despair. Be in joy just like a weightlifter that is looking to set a new personal best, right? It's a new challenge to flex your faith and to grow some spiritual muscle, not in our own strength, but in the strength of the Lord. These tests build spiritual muscles. Testing can produce endurance. It can make you stronger. 
So have joy. This testing of your faith produces strength and staying power. It's going to prove that your faith is real or not real. So when you face problems and you don't know what to do, don't be discouraged. See it as an opportunity to make gains spiritually. Verse 4 says, But let patience have her perfect work, that you might be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. Let this patience and endurance work in you. Why? So that you might become mature and complete, not lacking anything. See, these trials are not a waste. These trials are not a coincidence. These things are uh, things that God allowed to happen so that you might be tested, so you might have uh, uh, the opportunity to produce true faith and true perseverance. I don't know about you, but sometimes when I'm studying for a test, I feel like I've got it all memorized and I'm perfectly prepared until I get to the test, right? I thought I was uh, prepared. I thought I was ready. I thought I was good until that test shows up on the desk and I look at the questions and all the things I thought I knew so well and all the things that I thought I had internalized, all of a sudden I doubt and I worry And sometimes there's tests on the questions I didn't study for, right? Or questions on the tests that I didn't study for. And there's things that I I don't know, but I don't know that until I take the test. Tests are where the rubber meets the road. Tests will help you see where you can grow so that you might be a complete, a well-rounded, a more mature Christian. Tests show us where our flaws are so that we might study And we might grow in those areas. And some of you are going through things that from your perspective right now look like they will be impossible to get through. You can't see the other side. But if we're honest, none of us are going through uh, uh, the, the, the hardship and trial of having to flee our home because we're being persecuted and killers are trying to chase us down simply because we believe that Jesus Christ is God. But whatever you're facing today, you can have joy because this trial is going to make you stronger if you hold fast onto your faith. Last year, you had an opportunity through some of the hardest times in your life, I'm sure. Last year, you had an opportunity for your faith to grow. But if you just got stuck in that mode of complaining and being grumpy about the trials that you're going through, you may have even lost some spiritual muscle. These trials are opportunities for us to flex our faith. You know, the word testing, where it says testing of your faith, that same word is used in other contexts in uh, the, the, the language for purifying silver. Testing means purifying silver. We've got a picture here of some uh, silver ore. That's what you start off with. They, they heat up this silver ore and it reaches a high temperature and it becomes molten and 
malleable and movable when heat is applied. And next we see that molten silver. And what happens is the impurities in that silver rise to the top. So the craftsman, he scoops out these impurities. Anything that wasn't silver or isn't silver has to go. And they do this over and over again. And they heat it up and they scoop out the impurities. And they heat it up and and put pressure on it. And they scoop out whatever isn't real, whatever isn't genuine, whatever needs to go. And they're left here with the silver ingot. See, the craftsman knows when the silver is tried and tested, when he can look down and see his reflection in the silver. And this is a beautiful picture of what God wants to do with us. The trials create pressure and things get hot, but God is using them to remove things in us, to show us who we really are. And his goal is to be able to one day look down at us and see his reflection in us. He wants you to look more and more like him. And that's this idea of becoming mature and complete, not lacking anything. That's God's goal for us. See, these tough times are not for waste. These are opportunities to remove impurities from us so that we can come out stronger and more like Jesus. And if you've got caught up so obsessed with just going back to normal and how things always were and where I can be comfortable again, then you're going to miss out on what God wants to do with you right now. God's trying to teach you something. He's trying to show you some things in your life that are broken, that need healing. He's trying to show you some things where you're maybe serving idols in your heart and you didn't even realize it and you would have never realized it unless it was tested. So have joy. God's showing you some things that he wants to change in you. These times are not for waste. The Bible says that Jesus was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief and suffering and that we become more like him through our own suffering. See, some of us have believed the lie that God wants to make us happy. God's not working to make you happy. He wants to make you holy. The point is not just to have a safe and comfortable life. The point is for you to look more like Jesus. And look at Jesus' life. He had nowhere to lay his head. His friends often turned their back on him and he ended his ministry by being crucified. It's not easy. You're not just looking for prosperity in our lives. We're looking to follow the footsteps of Jesus, and Jesus told us to take up our cross and follow him. Cross is not comfortable. It's going to be hard. He wants us, though, to be a reflection of him. And it's the trials and suffering that make us more like Christ. Have you ever thought of that, though, as the goal of your life? Not to be happy, but to be more like Jesus. 
Have you worked towards that in your everyday life? God, I want to be like Jesus at the end of my life. God, whatever it takes, I'm happy to do it. Even when people stab me in the back or even when trials come, if it gives me an opportunity to become more like you, I will count it as joy because I want to be more and more like Jesus. Now, I love coffee. If you've got an observant eye, you've noticed our, our little coffee setup this morning. This isn't just uh, me being particular and wanting, uh, you know, my special coffee station as a, uh, you know, as a, a perk. But if you look at the coffee beans, these beans can be, you know, the best beans in the world, the most expensive beans in the world, and roasted just right with all the flavors and fresh and, and just, uh, you know, roasted yesterday. The bean is important. But if you just put these beans in water, all you're going to get is light brown water, right? It's going to be disgusting. It's going to be weak. You're not going to want to drink it at all. It'll turn your stomach. No, these beans have to be crushed in order to bring out that sweet aroma. To bring out the flavor See how loud this is. It smells good, though. Did that sound comfortable to you? Does that sound like something you want to go through? But that's what you have to go through in order to make this thing that we call coffee, to make it good and to make it have that beautiful aroma and flavor. Let's see if I can get this off without spilling it all over the place. There you go. These beans don't even look like they used to look. They're crushed and they're pulverized. But that's not the end. You don't just mix this into water. You have to uh, put it through a filter to take out the parts that you don't want. You just want that oil that comes from these beans. You want the flavor and the aroma. So you put it through a filter. But you don't just filter it with cold water. It's got to be hot, steaming, boiling water in order to release everything that you want out of the coffee to make it something that can be used. Now, I like chocolate-covered coffee beans, right? But I can't do that like all day, right? If I want the most beautiful things that you can make from coffee is this right here. And in order to get what this bean is intended to do, you have to crush it. You have to break it. You have to pour scalding hot water over it in order to bring out that rich and that bold flavor that's delicious. And sometimes that's what God's doing with us. Count it all joy when trials come into your life. Sometimes you need to be crushed. And sometimes you need to be broken. 
And sometimes you need to be filtered and, and scalded in order to become more like Jesus. God created you to be something so amazing and so beautiful, but you will not get there without testing. Verse 5 goes on and tells us that we don't have to do this alone, though. He says, if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. Hey, you want wisdom? Ask the God that has it all. He wants to give you wisdom to help you respond to your trials and tribulations. And it's not always easy to understand that trials are for our benefit, that they can bring something beautiful out of us. But there'll be times that you're going to have to go to God and say, God, pray. I pray that you help me understand. Give me the wisdom to understand how you can bring me through this problem as a better and a stronger person for your glory, because that's what I want. I don't just want to get out of the trial. I want to get something out of the trial. God says he will give you that wisdom generously, and that is a promise. But in the next verse, he says, ask, but don't doubt. If you doubt, you're like the double-minded man, he says, in two directions. Or he says you're like a wave that's always tossed by the wind to and fro. Don't be like that. No, pray in faith. If you want wisdom from God, you must have faith. And if you go back and forth deciding between your ideas and God's ideas, then you will fall. You'll be like me on roller skates. You can't go in two different directions at the same time. And a person that won't decide to follow God and to listen uh, to him, then you're going to listen to every other opinion that is out there. And you're going to latch on to this opinion until it doesn't work anymore. And then that opinion until it doesn't work uh, work anymore. And, And... And you're going to be double-minded and unstable. There's a lot of unstable people out there right now. See, God won't bless a life that's uncommitted to him. You've got to decide, God, if this is what you want, I will take it. God, if this trial that I'm going through right now brings me out more like you, I want it. And I will take it with joy. Because I know ultimately it's a chance to flex my faith and to show what is most important. Verse 9, 11 tells us that we can rejoice when life is hard because we're being tested and will come out better if we let God change us. But a rich man, it goes on to say, that, that is comfortable and settled into life and just looking for safety and looking for everything that he has always wanted. His life will bring forth nothing that lasts. It'll just be like a flower or grass that withers away. Then James ends the chapter with a bang in verse 12. It says, blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trials. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to him who loves him. Blessed is the person who perseveres. Blessed is the person who perseveres. So don't quit. Don't give up. 
Because God can get you through this. Yeah, it's not comfortable and it's not easy and sometimes you feel broken. But God promises big rewards for those that do not give up. And those blessings are more than material things. Sometimes a blessing is strength in the trial that doesn't make sense. Have you ever known someone like that, that had strength through a trial? And you looked at their life and said, how do they get that? Because they decided that they wanted to please God with their lives. And they held on and they remained steadfast and they stood the test. And God rewarded those that did that. And it says here, and you'll notice, it says to those that love him. Isn't that an interesting thing to add on the end there? It says, blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test of time, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Those that make it through the testing are those that actually love him. It'd be easy to love God and and to always be happy with him if he just gave you everything you wanted and all your ways came to pass and God just made your life so comfortable. But what about when God says, you know, I'm going to put some trials in your life because it's going to produce character in you. Because you're not on earth just to have a good time and to be free from pain. No, I want to make you who I made you to be. I'm not just trying to make you happy. I want to make you holy. So church, persevere through trials. Don't give up. And God promises that you will become more uh, refined and come out better and more pure like gold. Job said that in uh, verse 20, uh, chapter 23 of verse 10 in the book of Job. And he knew something about suffering, maybe more than anyone else that's ever lived. He said this, but he knows the way that I take. And when he has tried me, when God has tried me, and when God has tested me, I shall come out as gold. Look, God knows where you're at right now. It's not a surprise. God sees you. He knows what you're going through. So have faith that these testings and trials are going to bring you forth stronger and more like Jesus. Don't waste your trials. Don't waste your failures by not learning anything through them. God wants to make you holy. So count it all joy when you have an opportunity to have your faith tested. But in order for this to work, you have to own your faith. You can't blame someone else for your lack of faith or your weakened faith. You can't rely on other people for your walk with God. You must own your faith. And if you do, when you go through these testings and trials, then you can come out stronger and more like Jesus. Let's pray. Dear God, you know that over the last months and months, Lord, things have been hard. We've been tempted to lash out at each other. We've been tempted to lash out at you. 
God, but help us see these hard times as opportunities to grow our faith. Help us to see these times as as a chance for us to become more like you. As you continue praying right now, I want to talk to just a few people that might be listening. Maybe you're here and you heard us talk a lot about Christians. But really, we focused in on the church, but maybe you're not a believer yet. Maybe you can't go back to a time and a place where you understood that you were a sinner and you put your full faith in what Jesus did on the cross as the only means of your salvation. If you can't go back to a time and a place, then why don't you do that right now? See, you got to understand that sin creates... Uh, distance between us and God, just like sin creates distance between us and others. But see, God is even a higher standard. He's perfect and he's holy and we cannot get to God. In fact, the Bible says uh, we fall short of the glory of God. It goes on to say that the wages of our sin is death. That's what we earn and deserve is death in a place called hell. And we're hopeless. The sin that we've committed Every, every harsh word and every wicked thought, every time I've put myself first and I haven't loved my neighbor, those sins separate us from God. But, Romans 5.8 says that God commended his love towards us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God made a way for us to get back to him. And that only way is through his son, Jesus Christ. See, Jesus was God in the flesh. And he lived a perfect and a holy life for 33 years, 2,000 years ago. And he laid down his life on the cross and he died in your place. An innocent person took all the sin of us guilty people. He took your punishment that you deserve. The wages that you had uh, been paid for your sin, Jesus paid it all. And then he rose again from the dead on the third day, proving that he had defeated death in the grave once and for all and bringing our salvation with him. You could call on Jesus right now, right where you're at. The words aren't important. It's not a magic prayer. It's about a decision in your heart. It's called a repentance, turning from your way to God's way. But you could call out with something like this. Dear Jesus, I know I'm a savior, a sinner. I'm not a savior. And I know I'm a sinner. Forgive me. I've sinned against you. I put my faith and trust in what you did on the cross as the only means to save me. 
turning away from my sin and I'm turning to you. Thank you, Lord, for saving me. If that's you today, I want to encourage you to reach out to me. I'd love to continue the conversation with you. My email is uh, pwayman at clarksburgbaptistchurch.com. I'd love to talk further about what the next steps are. That's an amazing decision to make, to, to put your faith and trust and become a child of God. But it's not always going to be easy. Because the goal is not to make you happy. The goal is to make you holy. Dear Jesus, we love you. God, I pray you would help refine the church. God, through these hard times, God, I pray you would make us more like you, God. Make us a bright light and set us apart from culture so far away that when people see our testimony and see the love that we have for you and for our neighbor, that they are inspired to come to you. In your name we pray.